Welcome to Define You Radio, the place to be for real talk and real tips to help you define your personal and professional life. Class is in session with your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Pens and papers ready. Class is now in session. Hey, kings and queens. Welcome to episode 213. I'm your host, Valencia Griffin-Wallace, and class is in session with high-performance coach, Kimberly Spencer. She's the founder of Crown Yourself, which helps female business owners achieve holistic success in their body, business, and relationships. On today's episode, we discuss self-limiting beliefs, how to stop blaming others, and relationship projecting. Make sure you stay until the very end where Kimberly shares what the princess process is and how it can help you and your life. Today's show is sponsored by the Move Retreat because queens need a break too. Find out more at ValenciaGWallace.com. Now let's go ahead and welcome Queen Kimberly Spencer to the show. Hey, Valencia. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I was so excited for this. It literally made me giddy all day. Let me tell you, when I read like your bio, and of course I peeped your website, so I have like tons of questions. So, you know, I hope everybody has their pens and papers ready. But (laughs) what, what really caught me was your quote because I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like my signature, similar to my my signature phrase. Mm-hmm. So for the audience, your quote is, "Your past is only changed by your present choice of the and the meaning you give to it." Go ahead and explain that to me. Well, I went through a, a bit of a difficult childhood, growing up in an abusive, um, alcoholic family. Like my dad wasn't always a jerk. It it was just when he was drinking, he's actually like a really amazing man. He's been sober for the past three years since I staged his intervention a few years, three years ago. And our relationship has only gotten better. But when I was growing up, I never really had a solid footing on, on what, on that you could be in control of your story. And one of the things that I I saw was a lot of victimhood going down with past stories being repeated. And I modeled that same behavior growing up where I developed a 10-year battle with bulimia and with an eating disorder. And it really centered around a deeper story of self-worth, of being enough, of, and, and I think a lot of kids who grow up in, in an addict household are, are, are struggling with those deeper limiting beliefs. And the, the root of it was because I was stuck in this past story of blaming my dad for all of my circumstances. And it wasn't until I stepped up and took ownership of my life and my story that I was able to move on and forgive and create an incredible life for myself that is filled with joy and healthy, vibrant relationships and energy that's positive and surrounded by amazing people like yourself and like just the community that I've been able to build with my clients and with Crown Yourself and and being able to touch those lives. It would have never come had I been stuck in that past story of blame and shame around my past where I had to take ownership for my actions because it was never my dad shoving my finger down my throat. It was me. And it never was my dad choosing my really piss poor choices in boyfriends when I was, when I was younger. He, in fact, he very severely didn't, (laughs) didn't like a few of them, but those were me. Those were my choices. And I had to own those past choices and forgive myself and then forgive the other people as well in order to be able to create the space to have the amazing marriage that I have now with my husband, to be able to have a child and not be surrounded by all these fears of, you know, when 
because one of the top questions I was asked by my clients when I was pregnant was, oh my God, aren't you scared of like that you're not going to lose the baby weight? And I had been 10 years out of having an eating disorder by then. So the fear of gaining or losing weight, it doesn't affect me at all. I'm just like, oh, it, really? Yeah. I, I remember when I used to have those, but I don't, I don't have those fears anymore. And so I, it was just like, no, of course it's not going to, of course I'm going to lose it. No problem. But it was amazing when I was working with these women who were struggling with their body image issues and struggling with these past stories of like, oh, every time I try to lose weight, I, I never lose it or I gain it right back. And all those past stories, all of those things are all just stories that we repeat to ourselves and they become beliefs. And thus, if you repeat them enough, they can become a core belief to where you're, you're fighting against that, that belief in, in all that you do in order to get to your goals. And so it makes it a very hard uphill battle. Whereas what I do now as a coach is I am able to come in and kind of clean up those messes of, of those beliefs that are holding you back from really what you want to accomplish in this world. Wow, wow, and wow. And it's your mom. Your mom was in the picture. How how was your mom and how did she deal with your dad's addiction? Well, they're still married. Like they're going on 50 years married. Yeah, they've I mean, my mom also, when I staged my dad's intervention uh back in 2016, my my mom also went to codependency addiction. And it has been amazing watching their relationship transform. And that's, that's why I am of the belief that you are never, ever too old to radically change your life. Like, you are never too old. And what's amazing was even with my dad's addiction, it's, it, it always had, he always had his parameters and his rules, which was according to his story, where he grew up very poor and that he never wanted to have that same level of poverty. And so he was able to build a multi-million dollar business with multiple addictions over the course of 30 years. So when I was calling rehab homes and things like that, they all would tell me things like, oh, well, your dad has to have a job or he has to, um, you know, he has to be working. And I was like, actually, he owns a multi-million dollar company. And they were like, what? And and it was it was astounding because my mom, of course, was was pivotal and integral into them building that that business together. Um, and in some ways, she held it together. And then in some ways, when she was incapacitated or got injured or something like that happened, my dad would step up. It really took this intervention that I staged that that changed his life. And he thanks me to this day for doing that because he had never been called to that level of accountability. And I could only imagine having that, the things that were said out of love and kindness and compassion. Like I would have never been able to do it had I been stuck in my own past story of blame. Because what does blame do? It creates defensiveness. So immediately when you're blaming somebody, you did this to me, you did this, it immediately creates that, that massive level of, of defensiveness because, and it enhances their, the other person's shame, guilt, anger, and all those negative emotions. So the only way to combat that is with love, compassion, empathy, while also holding strong boundaries. Like my husband and I were very, very firm that this behavior would not be tolerated at all around our family. Like we, we were very, very clear. And after I staged the intervention, my my uh, my dad and I didn't speak for about six months. We parted ways and I let him, I knew that he would have to go through his healing because one of the things that happens when you're recovering from an addiction and you no longer are using the substance or the thing, whether it's food or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, when you're no longer using that thing, suddenly everything that that thing was a crutch for becomes really apparent. And every negative emotion that was buried because of that crutch becomes really apparent. So he had to go through his own process. And so I had to separate. And I didn't know how long we would be separated for. But it was, it was a really powerful transformative time because 
the universe is so majestic that uh, it works in such wondrous ways that the law uh, that one of my favorite universal laws is the universal law of the vacuum. And so when you create that space of forgiveness, of, of just removing something that's toxic, that's no longer serving you from your life. And that's not to say that he didn't come back in because he did, but in a healthy way, not in the way that he was behaving before. But when you create that space, when you open that space up, when you allow yourself to let go of certain things that are no longer serving the glorious future self that you're working to become, magic happens. Like magic, magic, magic happens because the, um, the, the, what happened for me was I got pregnant. Like my husband and I, we, we parted ways from my family and suddenly we had the space and the freedom to create our own family. Interesting in what kind of connects us besides our quotes being similar is that, you know, I, my parents were addicts. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother, my mother was in, you know, I lost her when I was 17 and um, that child and instead of becoming bulimic or, or anorexic or on that end, I actually started gaining weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very, addiction is very, very interesting. Um, when my mom passed, I actually was able to get her journals that she wrote in her stints of rehab. And I learned more about her in her death. So I, so I understood after the fact what led her to addiction. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting because I got tired of knowing and listening to the statistics. Because statistically, when you have two, you know, one parent that's an addict, much less two, you should be an addict, especially mm-hmm. in relation with drugs and, and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So, um it's it's very life is very interesting that way that you get to a point where you have to make a choice and i said i think the thing that saved my life is is i was too stubborn i was too stubborn i didn't like um feeling like like the victim or or being pitied like i didn't like that and i actually wrote in in one of my books that when people would hear my story, like I'd say, yeah, my mom was a drug addict and she was killed when I was 17. I use that to get away with so much stuff, including my own destruction. Mm-hmm. And it was okay. Cause this was expected statistically. This is what should happen. And, um, you know, life is, is very, very interesting that way. And I love that you, put, you know, as part of your bio that, you know, you are proof that you basically make your own mold, like Mm -hmm. almost like damn or dang, excuse my French, Spanish and English, um, (laughs) the statistics. And um, one of the things I say, you know, is I decided to to burn the box because, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to, you have to. And I, and I love that part, especially because, you know, with all of your, your resume, so to speak, your, your resume with being an award-winning screenwriter, um, with the Pilates, which I don't know about Pilates. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a form of exercise that, uh, well, a lot of celebrities out here, <laughs> out here do. I, I, I've, I've heard of it. I probably have done it. Um, but it was very, it's very interesting. So Miss Congeniality, besides mm-hmm. being a movie title, how did, how did, tell me a little bit about that part of your story. Well, when I was 15, I mean, I've always been the, like the girliest girl on the planet. Like I have always want, when I was a kid, I would corral up the neighborhood children to be in my plays that I would write direct and obviously, you know, star in. (laughs) And as, and they would all be stories of princesses that were just like, who would, you know, they didn't, they weren't the weak princesses like Cinderella where they lose a shoe or Sleeping Beauty where they have to be kissed by a man. They were like 
heroines. And I always really identified with those stories. And what better way to be a princess than to be in a beauty pageant <laughs> and get an actual crown? And beauty pageants did such a fantastic um, life turnaround for me, both beauty pageants and Pilates. And most people think that, oh, well, if you go into beauty pageants, that's just like a hub of eating disorders and women who are just obsessed with their bodies. And yes, you have some of those, but most of the women, I, I wasn't always super, super ambitious. And in, even though I went to a very good high school, I was the only one who was like, who I felt like was really striving, like who was really had bigger dreams beyond the walls of biology class. And I never really had any, like all my friends would be like, oh, let's go hang out and like, just, you know, let's, let's chill with boys. And I was like, I wasn't into that. I was like, I want my career. And back then, uh, like when I was, you know, in high school, I wanted to be an actress. And the only reason I really wanted to be an actress was because that I thought that by having that level of celebrity, that it would allow me to make the impact that I want to make. Obviously, things change thanks to the invention of reality TV and influencers and the internet and all of that. So beauty pageants, what they did for me was I found this community of ambitious, beautiful, smart women who just who basically were the whole package. They wanted to be wives and mothers and career women and help worthy causes. And they were well-spoken and they had great bodies. And I was like, oh, this is my crew. Like this, this is the people that I want to hang with them. And so I, I got into pageants doing it that way. And then as I was in, a, after graduating high school, I was still in the throes of my eating disorder and I was really looking for an outlet. I graduated high school and I, I won Miss Congeniality in the Miss Teenage California Scholarship Pageant. That's how I got the, uh, the title. And I actually skipped my senior prom to be in that pageant because I just did not care about my senior prom that much. <laughs> and so then I went to, um, I, was, I was still battling an eating disorder. I knew that there, were, there had to be a better way and I started searching and praying and looking for some form of exercise that I could do that wouldn't throw me into an asthmatic attack and that wouldn't like leave me feeling like, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing at the gym. And that's when one of my friends uh, was getting certified in Pilates and I'd heard about Pilates like Kate Hudson and other celebrities doing Pilates. And I was like, back then I thought, well, if I want to be an actress, I should, I should model the, these actresses who are doing these forms of exercise that keep them really fit and in shape. And one of my friends was getting certified and she told me about it. And I was like, within two weeks, I'd noticed a difference in my body. And then within four months, I was signed up to be certified as an instructor because I just felt this massive change of like, this is a, a key that I have to go for. And I got certified in Pilates as, as a very young. I was 19 years old and I started teaching. And you know how you're kind of blessed with teaching what you need to most learn. Mm -hmm. And so there I was, you know, in when you're, and especially when you're in the trenches of an eating disorder, you kind of think many times that you're the only one going through this. And that's why support groups are very valuable in those beginning stages of recovery. Same with any addiction to just see that you're not alone in the struggle. Like there are other people who have very similar struggles. And it was through Pilates and through teaching that I was attracting, quote unquote, somehow <laughs> the, these women who had body image issues. And there I was as, as just a, in, a, in a leadership position with a certain amount of knowledge to train them with my skill set. But the more I listened to their stories, the more I was like, oh my goodness, I'm being a total hypocrite in this leadership position if I'm not really recovered. And so I started, I was guinea pigging myself with what I could eat, what would be really good for myself. And I started really living with a lot more congruency thanks to, thanks to teaching Pilates. And when I was 23, I was in the Miss California pageant and I didn't win, but it was after a few years of teaching Pilates 
And I was in the best shape that I'd ever been in. And I walked out on that stage in a bikini uh, in front of 5,000 people. And the audience was screaming. And suddenly I didn't, I didn't need the validation from anybody else Hmm. that I was, I was a winner. I already knew what I'd won. I'd won my life back. I'd won my freedom from this eating disorder that had consumed my mind for years. And that was when I realized that I had crowned myself. Mm. Love it. Love it. Do you feel like social media makes it, do you think women have more body image issues now versus when you started? I don't think it's, I mean, when I started, it was, there was a lot of, you know, there's still the advertising on TV and, and in the magazines. I think there's actually a lot more awareness toward disordered eating, toward body image issues, toward just bringing awareness toward loving yourself. And I do also think that there is, is a scale, uh, not a, like, not like an actual scale, but I do think there is a balance between totally loving yourself as you are. And then also looking at, are you really living congruently with healthy habits like that love you back? Like if you're in, if you're technically scientifically classified as morbidly obese, does your heart really love you? Does your cholesterol really love you? Does, do your organs really love you being at that weight? Like, yes, you may love you for being you, but is your body loving you back with proper functioning? Mm, That's good. That's good. I know um, when I, at my heaviest, I think I probably was like 230 and I am about 5'7". And so once I decided to grow up and stop blaming everything else Mm -hmm. and drop the weight, you know, I dropped about 80 to 100 pounds. But, and so this is like- Good for you. I mean, your body loves you. Well, this was like more, this was more than 10 years ago, give or take. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've kept it off for within that 10 pound radius of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I had to decipher what weight was good for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm Southern and it's, and I'm 5'7". So I think at my lowest, I got to 135 and I'm like, I look sick. Now that may look right on somebody else, but for me, it didn't. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I bring this up, what's so crazy is because it didn't matter how much I worked out, how much weight I lost. I still had this image of me, of this two, this big girl, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's like my physically, I lost weight, but the mental weight took a little longer to come off. Yeah. I've seen that with so, so many clients. It's actually something that I am addressing in my book that's coming out this summer, Mindful Meals, How to Dethrone Food Fears and Reign in a Body that Rules. Because the mindset, it's not just the physical habits of, you know, eating or working out. Because I actually had one time when I was teaching Pilates, I had a woman who walked in with a stack of pictures from models that she had cut out. This was obviously before social media. <laughs> and she, she walked in with this stack of pictures and, and she was like, I want to look like this. And I looked at her and I was wow. like, you're joking, right? Cause she did. And she's like, Oh, well, you know, you see how her deltoids are like defined in this area. And I, I was looking at her nitpicking and I just asked her, I said, I'm curious when you were a kid or a child, were you growing up with, were you a little heavier? And she's like, oh yeah, my mom pointed it out all the time. And so in her mind, she always saw this, this plump child. Whereas even as she lost the weight, even as she grew into adulthood, and it really is about the mindset around what, how you think about food, and how you think about your body that really creates the most massive shifts. Like when, when, um, 
whenever I've been asked, like, have I ever been tempted to go back to those patterns? Cause there's the fear of like relapsing, right? Mm-hmm. Especially with, with eating disorders and that fear. And I said, actually, like, first of all, I hate throwing up. Like I absolutely hate it. I have no idea how I did it for 10 years, mm-hmm. but I, I look back and I don't see the same person. That person is not that girl who is so wounded, who was hurting so bad, who was just angry at the world, that girl is not me anymore. And so when I look at at myself at the pictures, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't even recognize her, but all I want to do is give her a hug and some coaching. <laughs> because because that's it's it's about an identity shift. It's more than just changing your habits. Your habits will change, obviously, but it's the biggest part of it is shifting into the identity of of who that fit, healthy, strong, badass woman is, and and how you and how do you step into that. And so one of the tools that I give my clients is I have them journal out like everything they want, everything, like really go crazy on, on focusing on everything that you want. How do you want to feel? How do you want your, your body to look like? How do you want to feel in your body? How do you want to your relationship to feel? And I focus specifically on having them journal around the feelings because most often they're not experiencing those feelings in their real life in their actual day-to-day life. Because when you look at one of the pictures on Pinterest of like the cute girl with the dog on running on the beach and like, it's not the picture of the body. It's a picture of how you perceive that woman to feel in her body. And when you shift it to focusing on the feeling, that's when you can start to manifest that into your physical reality because you start acting as if by tapping into more of those feelings of gratitude, of joy, of love. And so in this exercise, I have them journal for like an hour on everything they want in their business, in their body, in their relationships, in their spirituality, in everything that they want and how they want to feel. And then having all of that information of all that delicious information of everything that they want to achieve in their life, then taking Three simple tactile steps. What are three steps? If you were to ask that future self, that amazing woman who has everything that you desire to be, do, and, and, and who has everything that you want and who is you in the future, if you were to ask her to give you the advice that you need to take those, just those couple of next steps, what three steps would she tell you to do? And a lot of the times they're much more simple than we even think them to be. Like for me, after giving birth to my son, I did this exercise on my own and I had the most powerful breakthrough that as a new mom with who I'd literally sat on the couch building her business from the corner of her couch with basically topless with the baby on her chest and in sweatpants and depends, super sexy, by the way, <laughs> that I, I did this exercise and I was like, oh my gosh, my future self, that glorious, amazing woman that I'm becoming, you know what she does every day? She takes a shower every day. She takes her clothes off. She lets the warm water hit her. She takes a nice shower every day. So she is fresh and clean. Like that was the big breakthrough. That was the big aha. But just putting that one step into practice was so pivotal because it made me, it transformed the way that I feel and approach every day. And it's those little steps, those little degrees of perfection of, of shifting how, from how you are currently feeling to how you want to feel in your, in your life and in your business and in your body. That is a massive transformation that leads to 10 years later. You don't even recognize that girl who was throwing up her food before because you, you, it, it's, not, it's not even your, a part of your identity anymore. That's good. That's good. I love everything you said and the fact that you decided to take a shower every day. Oh, um, me too. My <laughs> husband's very appreciative of that fact. <laughs> like, yes, it works. But um, what's funny, kind of going back to, to Pinterest, which I love, 
when I see people like, you know, happy playing with their dogs and stuff, I get the feeling of jealousy because my Mm -hmm. dogs do not act like that. (laughs) And so there will never be any playing on the beach days or even walking them at the same time. Um, And I'm like, gosh, you know, how does that happen? Like, how do you know? Because these dogs are un- unruly. Just had to throw that out there. Because that's the first thing that came to my mind. Like, yes, I know, you know, the feelings you get when you see people like so happy and their life seems all together. And I'm like, Lord, I can't even get my animals under control. <laughs> I actually had a client who was struggling with that because she was like, really? she, got, she, she is a new fur mama. She was so excited to get her dog with her husband. And she was like, oh my gosh, this dog has been running my life. Yeah. And so we brainstormed on some ideas that she could do. And she invested in a dog trainer. And after six weeks, it has been a radical transformation as far as her relationship with her dog and her dog not consuming so much of her time. Mm-hmm. And it's those little tiny investments that you can make along the way that may initially seem painful, but they pay off you know, four, six weeks later, like with my son, we started recently, um, weaning him or I say we, but it's really me weaning him from having booby at night. And like, while in the middle of the night, like I still nurse him, but I, I wanted to make sure that he gets to, to the, he's of the age where he can eat a full meal at dinner. He's almost two and he can enjoy the boobs as a, as a bedtime snack, but not in the middle of the night, waking mommy up from her sleep. Mm. So he went through this transition period and it's always in those transition periods that that's when it's very uncomfortable and parenting has mirrored business and life in, in just so many ways, because it's always in those transition periods of, you know, making those first investments in a coach or, or buying that first program that you think is really going to enhance your, your life. And it, you're like, I don't know, this is like, I, it's tight on the budget at this moment, but if this allows me to, to grow in the way that I can grow and what, then it's, it's worth it. And so like with my son, it was the investment period of two, about two, three weeks that I knew that my sleep would be a bit interrupted. And I would be facing a, instead of a, a, a cuddly, loving toddler just nursing on me, a screaming little guy who is just yelling in my face, booby, booby, <laughs> for hours. And I knew, though, that this sacrifice of sleep would be worth it because now he's able to sleep through the night. He's of, He has the awareness to 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 you know, eat a full meal for dinner. And then he's able to communicate when he wakes up that he's hungry and that he would like his, his eggs and waffle. So it's, it's those periods of transition where it's those tiny investments that initially they have that little bit of, of, of discomfort because anything new is going to be discomfort is going to create discomfort in your mind. Sometimes actually in your physical reality of, okay, maybe I have to tighten up the budget on a couple other things, or maybe I'm going to invest in this program. So I'm not going to get my nails done for a few weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. It may create a little bit of discomfort, but the benefit of where you would be six weeks, six months from now is so vast. That is, I, I love that. It's almost like discomfort now, sleep later. sleep later, you'll get the rewards later because I would still like, if I hadn't done that, I would still have the little bit of discomfort of the disruption in my sleep. So I'd still have that. But years later, I also wouldn't have trained him to sleep through the night. And so then there would be even less sleep because there would be a longer training period. I always say that there it's, it's much easier to rip off the bandaid than to unstitch a scar. I do that with, with my clients who are struggling with relationships and they're struggling with having those courageous conversations about their goals and their dreams and their, in their marriages or in their, in their relationship with their significant other. And I, I always encourage them and challenge them to have those uncomfortable conversations 
where you're unapologetic about what you want. And ideally, when you're with the right person, they're going to want to support you in what you want. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is when you don't have that conversation around what you want and what you want to achieve, especially with your significant other, they are of no fault if they if suddenly out of the blue, you surprise them with, oh, I want to do this thing. And they're like, what? How are you going to do it all? And you're like, wait, how come you don't know me? Mm. Whose fault is it really? Interesting. Do you think, um, do you think women are, are scared to have those conversations? Because really today it seems like you, you see two type of women most of the time, right? You mm-hmm. see the ones that's married, but generally they aren't full-time business owners or full-time going, going to get whatever life has to offer. But one of the things I noticed um, with women that's quote-unquote in this space, a lot of them are, are single or their husbands aren't as supportive. Mm. And I said, one of the things, you know, this was a discussion me and my husband had every step of the way. And because of how my husband is in our communication beforehand, because I think that kind of affects it as well. Like if you guys don't have communication beforehand, it'll make it harder to say, hey, I want to do X, Y and Z with my life. Do you Mm -hmm. find that that's the case? Uh, I, I find that a lot of times I haven't seen that so much as I see women projecting a story that they think about their husband, that they think that, oh, they don't want, and it comes from a place of love. It does. Cause it's like, oh, I don't want to hurt him by disempowering him. Like, I don't want to share with him my big audacious, crazy ass goals that I want to achieve. I want, I don't want him to feel challenged by how big I want to go. Um, and so I think it comes from that place of, of love, of feeling like, you know, but it's also projecting a story onto your spouse, which is actually a form of disrespecting your spouse's decision-making ability. And I always say, well, your spouse or your partner, they did choose you. To marry. So wouldn't that be a good choice? So doesn't that show that they are able to make very good decisions? Right. So <laughs> I mean, ideally, yeah. So I, and I totally agree with you, Valencia, about having the communication beforehand. Like with my, I always say that my husband was my experiment in unabashed, brutal honesty. Like when I, the night I met him, I literally manifested him two hours prior where I was pray and I didn't even know it would, I did, I wasn't expecting to manifest a man or the love of my life. I was expecting to just travel and be authentic AF. Like just, I, that, that was what I wanted. I literally said a prayer as I was driving to this networking event. I said, God, I just, all I want is to be authentic and to travel Hmm. Because in my past relationships and in my past marriage, I had hid parts of myself. And I say past marriage, but I really like, we were married, but I totally pulled a Brittany. We never like lived together or combined finances. Romantic Navy story. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was my fault that he didn't know how big my dreams were. And in my past relationships, and this comes a lot from that lack of self-worth, from that, that belief that you're not enough. Uh, I would try to like hide parts of myself, maybe my sparkliness, maybe my silliness, maybe my sexiness uh, from my, the, the person that I was in a relationship with because I didn't feel like I either projected a story that they couldn't handle it or I'd had some sort of negative response from like showing showing up in a sexy way or showing up being really goofy or showing up in, in a way that's fully authentically me, but I'd received a bit of feedback from them about how that wasn't okay. And I didn't have the courage to say, well, if that's not okay, I'm going to like peace out then. Cause if you can't accept me for all of me, then we're going to have an issue. Cause uh, I've seen with a lot of women, we have a very skilled ability of being a chameleon. And especially with women who have experienced abuse in the past, yeah. where th- 
they are very skilled at adapting to their surroundings, but not necessarily having their surroundings have to adapt to who they are and who they want to be and who their highest and best and most magnificent self is. Now, the thing is with relationships, perception is is always projection. And especially in your intimate relationship and your special romantic relationship, your partner is very much a reflection of your unconscious mind and they are very much a reflection of your unconscious mind. So if you're seeing your partner as being, uh, if you're having like trust issues, then I always challenge to say like, well, what are you holding back? What And not necessarily like infidelity trust issues, but just like, right. oh, you feel like they may like be hiding something. Like they don't want to share the fact that they went out with their guys last night. And that's totally where they were. It's not an issue in that. It's just they they feel bad in some way. Because again, it comes from that place of love. They don't want to hurt you. That So there's that trust issue. And then I always challenge my clients to say, well, where are you not showing up fully? Where are you not sharing with them the things that you that you need to be sharing about your goals, about what, what you actually need and what you actually want? Because I'll tell you, the most difficult time in my relationship with my husband was... Uh, my, my forever husband, the, the father of my child. Um, the most difficult time was after we had had my son, our son, we, uh, we went through a period where I was creating this story of like not really being supported. And my husband is the most supportive person on the planet. But I was living in this story because I wasn't asking for the help that I needed during those first few months. I was trying to show and prove and do it all and like, oh, I can take him. No, it's okay. He's crying and screaming in my face. I can take it a little longer. I was trying to show how strong and how together I had it when really there were many times when I needed to ask for help. The problem with hiding in that story of like, let me show you how strong I am. Let me show you how, how together I have it all. Um, is it, it's an A, it's an illusion of the ego and B, it creates division with your partner. And so that was one of the toughest times in my marriage where I said, like I finally, and I th- thank God for my coach because she she was like, you need to ask for support. And then suddenly I started asking and suddenly I was like, oh, where did this whole BS story come from? Wow. Oh my goodness. I like, I, all I had to do is ask and my husband's like, yeah, I got him. No problem. Go in the other room. I got him. Go upstairs and work. That's fine. Like it, it was so simple and such a simple fix, but we as humans, as you know, are very, very skilled at overcomplicating things that are not complicated. And then everybody wants to be a superwoman or there's a myth of the superwoman mm-hmm. that she could do any and, and all things. So I wanted to mindful meals that comes out this summer, right? Yes. Yeah. At the end of the summer. Yay. Awesome. That's very interesting. Cause when I first read the title mindful meals, I'm automatically thinking, recipe book until I read like the subtitle. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's all about the subtitle. Yeah. It's, I originally had the subtitle as titled something different and everyone thought recipes. And I was like, no, this book in no way references recipes. This isn't a diet book. This is telling you it's an instruction manual in many ways of how to think about your body, a a guidance tool to, to shift the ways and to really assess the ways that you've been thinking about your body, the ways that you've been thinking about food, and especially, and this goes into my my nerdy neurolinguistic programming uh, <laughs> background, where uh, how how powerful our language is when it comes to how we communicate about our bodies, about ourselves, about food, about anything and how to use our language as like a compass to see where we've been steering ourselves in the wrong direction. Mm, Love that. Love that. Cause I know, um, I kept saying I'm going to, um, gain weight. I'm going to gain weight or something like that. Like if I eat this, I'm going to gain a hundred pounds. And so, (laughs) And I will find I used to that, love that too. I used to totally do the same thing. And I have to had you know have to stop saying that because I didn't talk myself into a hundred, but a good ten that's sticking. 
Uh-huh. You know, and I realized because the things I say, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be so fat, or you know, or um, as you get older, weight is harder to come off. And like I talked, I told my body what it was going to do, and literally that's what it did. So I definitely look forward to checking that out because you know we could all use need to learn like the correlation between you know our body mind the way that we we talk and so I love I love that that's much much needed so crown yourself Mm -hmm. as as a business and and what I love because it's it's basically about yourself and making yourself the queen or princess how do you find that, you know, your business is like your relationship? Because in your relationship, you had to ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Oh, well, this is one of my favorite topics because everything is a relationship. We have a relationship with our body. We have a relationship with our unconscious mind and like the things that we say to it. And honestly, we need to be a lot kinder to that relationship. We have a relationship with our business. And if you think of any relationship, there is a a mutual transaction of you put energy into it, it gives you energy back. So it's just, it's kind of like the infinity cycle. I call it the infinity symbol of prosperity. And so when you have that relationship with your business, there are a lot of times when you're focused on the wrong things in your business, things that I call productive procrastination, the things that aren't really moving the needle forward in your business, mm. that when you're doing all the things, and I know because I did this in my own business for, for two years. So when you're doing all the things, you're doing the logo and the website and the photo shoots and all that stuff, but you're not really down in the dirt doing like doing the discipline of getting the clients or getting the customers or making the connections or creating the content or doing those things that your soul has to do, then there's not going to be a reciprocation from the business side. So the business is a, is a relationship. And this is something that I talk to a lot of my clients who are looking to step into that entrepreneurial world, they may have a current job and they have that like side hustle thing that they really want to be the main thing so that they could be more of a digital nomad. They could have some more time to travel. And I say, you know, if your business, first of all, if your business is, if you're in a relationship, like what would your relationship status be on Facebook? Would you be single and ready to mingle because you're looking around at every single shiny object opportunity that comes your way? That's that's when you're single in your business and you're like, you know, browsing and you're dating. Are you in a relationship? Have you had like the where is this going conversation? Are you like looking at building this? That's like when you're setting the foundation or, or have or have you just kind of been dating in your business? And this is when a lot of my clients come to me when they've been dating in their business, but they've been also kind of just allowing for their foot to be like they aren't. They've never had that that where is this going conversation that like let's get real, like let's really assess where this is going. Or and then there's the stages of like being fully engaged to your business and then being like married to it. Like this is my business. This is my commitment for my life for this time on this planet to be able to be of massive service of massive impact. I am going all in. Everybody knows. Cause what happens when you like, when you are really in that committed relationship where, you know, and especially right before you get engaged or before you get married, like you are posting all over social media about how, about your wedding, about your, uh, your wedding photos, about your, um, your engagement, like it's getting shared, it's getting shown. But so often as business owners, we don't step up to that level of being fully engaged and or married to our business to where it's giving us that same reciprocation. So what happens is, is when you're dating in your business and then you're just kind of in that dating relationship and your business 
maybe feeding you a customer or two or a client here and there. And it's, it's nice and you've made some money, but not real. It's not really flowing in. Then if you haven't had that commitment, if you haven't sit down and had that like come to Jesus moment of like, I'm going to be really committed to this thing and go all in and make this my main thing of my main passion. This is what I was born to do. This is the purpose I was born to fill in on this planet. That was the divinely inspired gift inside of me that I'm using through this vessel of a business. If you haven't had that conversation, then a lot of times what happens is when um, it's something that I see in, in just relationships, when you're dating and you haven't had that committed conversation, you're just dating this guy and you like him, you like him a lot. And you haven't had that conversation and suddenly you're out at a bar and you see him with someone else and you're like, whoa, dude, what the F? (laughs) And I'm like, well, you never sat down to have that where is this going conversation. You never sat down and really declared what your boundaries were and that like you're going all in. So your business up and left and went to another person. That's why one of my favorite books on the planet is Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. And how she talks about like how an idea will bounce if it's like, if it's not going to come into physical form, because that idea has to come into physical form because it like, in my perception, it is from the divine of like that divine bit of inspiration. And if you're not going to manifest it into physical form, if you're not really going to be committed and take the action steps and do the things that need to be done and make that decision and go all in, then somebody else will. And it's going to go to somebody else who will create something very, very similar to that. Mm. So true. So true. The only thing that came to mind is like people are on a, on the, on a dating app, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, yeah, he's interesting. Let me talk to him for a minute and no, he's, let me talk to this dude for a minute. That's a good, that's a great analogy. Like I, I so love that. And I love that you hit on, um, because I do believe that if, if a vision comes to you for, for your life, for your, your business, it's cause it's for you. And mm-hmm. when you don't do something with it, like you said, it has to come into fruition. So it'll go to the person that will. Mm-hmm. It'll know. go, it'll go into, you are a vessel, you are a, a conduit of inspiration for this to come out. Like I know, like I, uh, I, and I speak from, from past experience, like, cause my book, I started it four years ago when I wasn't fully in it, it took my son and took finding out that I was pregnant for me to be like, holy moly, like if I want to take crown yourself to the next level, like I've got to, I've got to really go all in. And I did. And that's how I grew my business 389% last year. Like that's, that's the level of commitment. And that's what happens when you really make that commitment to just go all in and do the thing and, and, and grow it. And so I had the idea for mindful meals years ago with a very, with a bit of a different subtitle. And I just made the decision this past summer. And I told all my clients, I told, I announced it to everybody in my community. I said, hold me accountable. This book is coming out. It's coming out this summer. This is my ride or die. Like I am coming out. It, it, this book has to come out of me. It is like literally clawing at my insides for it to be released into the universe so that it could be of service to, because that's the biggest thing is that it's actually selfish if you put your gift, if you put your book idea, if you put your project, if you put your business, if you put all anything that you want to create in this world and you put it up on that pedestal of perfectionism, then what happens is, is the more you focus on it being on a pedestal, the higher the pedestal goes and the easier it is for it to drop into somebody else's, else's lap as a, as, as a different conduit because it's not, it's not safe on that pedestal. Like it's not safe in the perfectionism of your mind. You have to go through physical, you have to go through that emotional labor for it to come into physical reality. Like, and I don't believe in thinking of labor as like the screaming, what you see on TV sort of, sort of analogy. I see labor as just work. Like let's just remove the hard from it and just do the work. Love that. Love that. The princess process. What the heck? 
<laughs> That's all I could think of when I when I said princess process. Tell me about it, Kim. So the princess process is my gift to those entrepreneurs who are in the side hustle phase. They have, uh, they may have another job. They may be living off of savings and wanting to invest in their business. They know they need a coach. They know they need some guidance, but they don't really have the thousands of dollars to drop on, on private coaching. And so that's why I created the princess process, which is a $99 a month membership program where you get weekly coaching and content from me on building your business. And we base the needs of the trainings off of the collective, off of what the group is needing. So like a couple weeks ago, my group was needing productivity. They were needing some tools and some skill sets to just add in a little bit of automation into their businesses so that they could make those small tweaks. I had one client, she just got three new clients and onboarded three new clients in just the month that she's been a member because she started implementing the ideas, the tools, the tactics, the trainings and going all in. And that is what the membership is for. It is for the women who want to go all in, they're ready to commit and they know that they deserve to make a greater impact and a greater income because you really you can't you can't grow your your impact without the income. And you need that you need that money in order to support your mission, as my mentor, Brendan Bouchard says. So you have to have the money behind you. You have to have them. You have to have that sit down conversation of the like, where is this going? The ability to say, I really am going to go all in. I'm going to go into a membership program. I'm going to commit to this being a decision and to me joining a community of fellow entrepreneurs, I do have a few men in there who are totally fine with being called princesses. So it's, it's not just for women, but for, for those who are ready to really grow their business and nurture it from a place of, of love and support. And what I do is over the course of however long you want to retain your membership, you, we go over mindset, skill set, training, building your systems, building your marketing, building your sales, building your brand so that, and we go, we cycle through those six pillars every single week. Not, we, we focus on one pillar every week. So it's not all six into one week, but we, fo- we build on one every single week so that you get the training, the skill set, and the coaching that you need so that you can make those minute tweaks from week to week so that you're not just sitting there waiting like, oh my God, what should I do? I like, I have a website or I just did a photo shoot. Now, where do I put the photos? Like, do I put them up on Instagram? Like, how do I put them up on Instagram? What do I say on Instagram? Like, how do I write copy that converts? How do, how do I set up a a landing page? How do I build an email funnel? All of that we go into in the princess process to really set you up for massive success so that you can move from it being that side hustle passion thing into the main thing, into that business that you are engaged to and engaged in and your customers are engaged in as well. I love that. I love that. Now, the princess and the bee. Your podcast. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm not going to ask what the what the B stands for, okay? I'm not going to ask because I, I have my own ideas. It could be the princess and the beast, the beautiful, but it could be a whole other word. But it is. <laughs> I, I have actually never thought of, of it as that other word. I think really? I know what you're talking about. I actually never have, but I love that idea. Um, but it, it really, the B stands for the many B's of a woman's life of, of babies, bodies, boys, business, bank accounts, belief systems, boldness, badassery. Like, <laughs> All the other B's that I did, like literally when I looked at it, that's the first thing I thought, you know, because that's kind of like the opposite of princess. I was like, okay, well maybe she, you know, I don't know. 
I do dig that juxtaposition <laughs> though. Like I really dig that because we all have that sort of that B in, in, yeah. in our own minds normally, who is the, the one who shares the, her self doubt with us, who shares her fears. And we're like, okay, really shut up ego. Okay. Shut up ego. <laughs> shut up ego. Come on. Come right. on. You're being a B. <laughs> Now there's a um an episode and I have a question. Mm-hmm. What is divine compensation? Because I thought that was a very interesting terminology. And you know, people could just read, you know, hear the term and draw their own conclusion. But I would love to hear from you what is divine compensation. Well, the law of divine compensation is one of the, the universal laws. There are many laws of the universe. Um, I happen to be obsessed with with learning them at this moment. Um, but the law of divine compensation, it, it was a book that was also written by Marianne Williamson several years ago. And it is the, the law basically states that when you're operating from a place of, of love and of service and of alignment, that it's just the obvious next step that the universe is going to reward you because you're doing the uni- the work of the work of the universe you're doing you're doing the thing that you were put on this planet to do when you're operating from a place of especially in in relation to money i think a lot of us has have operated or at least i have definitely in the past um, operated from a place of fear and a scarcity and of smallness and uh, especially um, many of the women I, I coach have have trouble saying the big numbers of what they want to achieve. Like one one of my clients said like $12 million and she was like, I've had to practice that in the mirror of saying how big I wanted my business to go. And I was like, good, because that's that is powerful. But a lot of us, especially, I, I found especially as women, we've capped ourselves as at a certain thing and that there's this this stigma around talking about money in in our society and in and in culture that that i think really needs to be broken because when you operate from a place of love and of service then selling becomes of service selling your services becomes of service like giving your products and services away well i do believe in giving like some giving free value i also think that when you're just like constantly handing out your products and services for free you're, I equate them to being like one night stands where you may get a value for a half a second, but like in the end, they don't call you back. Like those people don't become clients. Wow. And what was the name of that book again? The Law of Divine Compensation. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I wrote it down. And I also wrote down the other book you mentioned, Big Magic, because my, um, I'm a writer, of course. If if I had to give everything else up, there was only one thing I could do. As much as I love my podcast, writing is that one thing I've been doing since I was eight. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people, if you're a writer, like that's what you were born to do, you're also a reader. Amen. And, and I read, I consume books in all form, um, hard copy, ebooks, audio, everything else. I'm putting that on those two on my list to read for June. I love it. I love it. They are fantastic books. I am also a big, a big book nerd, giant, giant book nerd. So I am a, a font of, of book recommendations. <laughs> so what's crazy is what you end up um, retaining, especially like if I love psychology books and business books as well, Mm -hmm. like all kind of stuff. And someone will ask a question and I'll end up regurgitating something I read and it'll be right. And I'll be like, I don't know where I got that from. I just know it's right. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the books, one of the great things that I loved about going back, because it, it was only recently that I read The Law of Divine Compensation again, but I read it for the first time back in 2013. And that was when I was with my first e-commerce company. And back then I had a lot of money mindset issues and I was like searching for answers. But it's like, 
I, I say it's like kind of like a safe, like you start turning the knob, but you've got to keep turning it a certain way. And then maybe you misdial it. And so then you got to spin it again and you got to try to unlock it and turn, turn, turn. And then finally you unlock the safe. So like, I think each book, each tool, each coach, each podcast, each resource, it, they, they're just little twists in, in the knob to unlocking those deeper parts of your soul because your next level is always inside of you. It just has to be unleashed. Mm. Well, Miss Kim, you have been one of the most fascinating interviews in 2019. Woohoo! I I love hearing that. (laughs) Now you have given so much, so so many great tips and so many jewels to add to the crown, so to speak. Mm. If if the audience doesn't remember anything else that you said except what you say next, what would that be? You are deserving of your desires because, not because of what you do, but because of who you are at your core being of how you were created. You are an extension of the divine creator of the universe and those creations that live inside of you deserve to be unleashed through you. Mm. Hashtag amen. Amen. <laughs> yes. How can the audience get connect with you? Definitely find out about the princess process and keep abreast of when Mindful Meals will come out. Yes, yes. We will be doing a pre-launch very soon for Mindful Meals. So I will definitely pass that off to you. And the easiest way is crownyourself.com. You can follow me on Instagram at crownyourselfnow for leadership quotes and inspiration. And you can follow my mompreneur journey on Instagram as well at kimberly.spencer. So if you want to see really adorable pictures of my son and more personal insights from yours truly, uh, that is where it's at. And join my email list because that's where I share a lot of the the news about what's coming up, about the princess process, about my my book when it's coming out. So jump over to crownyourself.com and sign up for email updates because you're not going to want to miss what's coming up this year. It's We've got a really big year ahead and it's it's so awesome what's coming that it's going to it's going to knock your crown off and then put it back on straight i love thanks for listening to define you radio make sure you connect with the show at www.defineuradio.com pens and papers down class dismissed